Hi, I'm Lanny. And I'm Chud X. And this is The World As It Is Today. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in to The World As It Is Today. We, uh, I think we're going to go down a road that we're planning on going down quite a lot. We're going to start talking about family. You might have seen that as a theme kind of in any of our conversations. And if you've listened to us on any other podcasts, that's definitely uh, something that we come back to, something that we relate a lot of things to. It's a lot of the the whys of what we do, what we do. It's because of family. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, um, you know, if, as we've, as we've discussed on a, on a couple of other podcasts now, uh, it's, we see a terrible thing happening. A lot of people do. A lot of people who are listening right now probably see the destruction of the nuclear family, (laughs) which is, um, you know, it's terrible. Um, It's not a good thing. Uh, However, uh, you and I, Lanny, have have talked about this a lot, and um, we're not that big of fans of the nuclear family, are we? No. It's... um, that's that's not to say that we don't see the destruction of the nuclear family as a bad thing, but it's more like a bad step in a series of things that I think have been happening over a, a, a few generations and several decades. And that is um, that we're coming to see the nuclear family as the destruction that... that <laughs> The nuclear family coming to be was the destruction of what we're starting to call the traditional family. Right. Uh, an, an aspect, like when, when we say the nuclear family, let's, let's just lay it out. What do we mean? We mean a husband, a wife, and 2.5 children or whatever, whatever the number is. I think is. it's the real leave it to beaver 1950s style of the nuclear family would be, yeah, mom and a dad and some kids, maybe a dog or a cat. But yep. definitely living in a house with just those people inside of it, um, earning their income outside of the home, and usually the, the mother staying home with the kids, but the kids leaving the house and going to public school, compulsory education. Until they are 18 years old. Yes. At which point they leave the home, and we have a term that parents often go through at that time called empty nest or empty nest syndrome. Great show. Great show. <laughs> Great that, sitcom. That neighbor was hilarious. Uh, the mailman? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't really remember. We just watched Airplane uh, not oh, that, that long ago. And that he was, actor's in it. He was in it as, uh, um, oh, what are those guys? The uh, Harry Krishnas that were oh, at, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, at yeah, the airport yeah, all the, the time. It's like an old stereotype. It's a little, little before my time. Yeah. Good stuff. Airplane. And, Airplane and is Perfect great. Strangers. Wait, no, that's Wait, not what? what we're talking about. <laughs> Shitty sitcoms aside. Uh, well, actually, you know what? S- sitcoms do play into this. Oh, huge. Because it's all about the nuclear family in a sitcom. I mean, besides, you know, when they try to make it a big deal that it's not like, uh, what's the one we were just talking about with the Olsen twins? Fam- full, family. full House. Full House. That was yeah. not a nuclear family. That was not. That was, uh, that was, uh, what would they have called that? Like a non-traditional family household? Yeah, I guess so. Something, so. yeah. Something, I don't know. Because you got, then you got the term blended family. That's like two nuclear families 
having divorce and then oh, okay. getting married Brady and blending Bunch. the kids. Brady, Brady Bunch. Bunch See, I, you know, if we think about it, I bet every scenario that we come up with has been presented to us in sitcoms or at least some kind of television, wait for it, programming. Which is interesting because if we actually relate this to TV more, and I'm sorry I got I totally derailed you with the sitcom reference. Yeah, yeah. But if we think about what the traditional family is, the one family that on TV sitcom style that comes to mind for me is the Beverly Hillbillies. Because uh-huh. traditional families when the way we think of it is the nuclear family putting grandma and grandpa in a home and the kids in school, whereas the Beverly Hillbillies all still live together. They all live together with grandma. Took care of each other. I believe, you know, it's been a long time since I watched that show, but I loved it when I was a kid. And was it it ever discussed or was it like that uh, Jed was a widow? Oh, I'm not sure. Because there was no mom. There was no mom. So it wasn't, you know, uh, a perfect family. But traditional family, I don't think, needs to be a perfect family. I think that's part of what the what the idea of the nuclear family was was that, um, you know, like I said, the 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 two parents and two kids and a dog and a cat, and um, dad works all day, mom stays home and uh, and, and is a homemaker. And the kids go to public school until they're 18. This is where I was at before, that they move out. And that's when empty nest syndrome sets in. And uh, suddenly, you know, now it's, now it's a waiting game until retirement so that, the, so that the parents of that family can finally enjoy their life. Um, you know, maybe they sell the house that they had raised the family in uh, by the time of retirement so that they can uh, buy, buy a sweet RV and travel around and, you know, do some things. And this is, none of this is like bad, like on its face, but there's an element that I haven't, that we haven't mentioned at all. And that's, uh, where are the grandparents in all of this? I mean, we're, they're put away in a place for people of their age. And I think that's a huge, huge, huge component of what the nuclear family was. I'll go with was, um, because we're seeing the destruction of it now. The nuclear family is like, it's like kind of hard to even track down anymore. There's, there's of course examples of it still uh, in everyday life, but it's, it's I, I mean, chances are if you're, you're our age, which is, which is around 40 or, or younger, um, you are of a divorced family or you most, at least most of your um, friends that you grew up with came from divorced families. It was, it was very, very, very common to see divorce. And I think that's a lot of what this, this destruction of the nuclear family is. And that is horrible. I, I think that divorce is, is terrible. I'm not going to, I'm not going to slam it all the way across because I think there are times when divorce is, um, is maybe even necessary. If you were married to Jeffrey Dahmer, you'd probably need to divorce that guy. Um, not that he'd marry a woman, but, but you know, you get the point. Ted Um, Bundy, he never got married, but he had that long time girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, but really the idea of like, there's a lot of churches that really frown on divorce and they try to work through things, uh, with the counseling and things like that. And there are, there's a time and a place for that, but then there's also a time and a place to, to cut your ties and, and realize you made a mistake. There's certain people that can't get better. Or, and, and there's other people who can't, 
you know, stand up for themselves in a way where it's just the dynamics are wrong or one person's really bad. Sure. But, yeah, but they've made or, divorce or, or, so so commonplace that it's kind of like you're just expected after a few years when the honeymoon phase wears off that you get bored and it's just like, uh, well, you know, it's not so exciting anymore. So I want to have sex with other people. Let's right. get a divorce, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Wait, are you telling me that right now? On yeah, I this thought this podcast? would be the appropriate time <laughs> to tell you that. <laughs> um, no, uh, but uh, okay, let's let's slow down just a minute and grandparents. Yeah. What happened to grandparents in the nuclear family? That I, and maybe I should have done some research before we we hopped on I was and started the talking about this. Yeah. But let's ask ourselves in in the way we often have our conversations, when did the nursing home become a thing? I I I mean, you know, listeners, if you if you have information on this, you know, please please email us at uh, the world as it is today at protonmail.com. But I think that the nursing home was part of the um, the operation of bringing in the nuclear family because it started severing you from your greater family. Um, grandpa and grandma, or at least great grandpa and great grandma needed to be put in a home away from you where it wasn't your, and part of all of this was the beauty of dad working all the time that you could, you could afford it and, you know, maybe even have fun, uh, you know, once a week. You go and visit grandpa and or grandma in the nursing home. Uh, maybe that's even good for kids, we might, we would say. You know, it's good for them to, to see that this is what the end of life looks like. And uh, uh, that's an, you ever spend any time in a, in a nursing home? Too much time. <laughs> yeah, yes, you're, you're, your mom was very involved in the industry. And I grew uh, my, the house I grew up in was across the street oh, yeah. from... From a retirement home and a nursing home with an Alzheimer's unit. So I, I did a lot of volunteering at both places. Like as a little kid or riding my bikes, I would meet one of the old folks outside um, on the porch and end up being friends with them and go hang out in their little space. Sure. it's um, But those places, they're really close to, if not just a hospital for old people who don't need to be in a hospital. Right. Um necessarily sometimes uh you know maybe there's there's uh extreme cases um you know someone with parkinson's disease who's 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 unable to control themselves but i i do believe that that person would be better off in a household full of a lot of people who love them right with with sometimes with support and care and I, let's make it clear like we're not saying that it's easy to take care of people when they're very very sick and dying Right. That's not an easy thing. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of care and a lot of patience and a lot of skills and a lot of resources. Would but you would you say it takes a village to take care of an old person? It might just take a village. Uh -huh. And we're paying for a village-like service when we send them to a home. Yeah. But we're segregating them with people of their age. And I don't think that that is how to live the most fulfilling life mm -hmm. at any time in your life. So that's the same thing is like you started on that end of the family. And I've also been thinking about around that same time as when it was necessary for kids to go off to go to school. And like even your grandpa's generation, it wasn't typical that they would go to high school. Right. Like they would have gone to school till they could read and write. 
and then be working at home on the farm or in whatever um, industry that that family worked in. Right. And then you're, you would have on-the-job training with your family. And you might take those skills and branch out and do something else or become an entrepreneur or take over the family business or the family trade. Mm-hmm. And now kids leave the house and the, the hours have continued to extend on each side of the day. They leave earlier and they stay later. And people that have to go to work all the time are begging for that after school program so that they don't have to pay for daycare for their kids while they're working. It's, and it's this vicious cycle of you're paying so that your kids can be cared for and your, and your mom and dad can be in a home. And so you're working for that and you're working for this house that is just a vacant shell that sits there all day when no one is in it. The way you're phrasing that is you're working to keep yourself away from your family. Right. You're, you're working so that you can afford to pay people to take care of your family. Um, and it's, you know, you said uh, it's a village-like environment um, about, about the nursing home. And that's the same concept. Like that, uh, that term is really is really leaking into to the dialogue of um, the way, particularly liberal um, liberal people are starting to say that it takes a village to raise a child. You know, they're they're saying preschool needs to be compulsory education as well. That, yeah, that that needs to be state funded and part of the public school system, so you that know, you would start two years before kindergarten. I think if um, if some some powers that be had it their way, they would take away our infants. <laughs> you know, like they would set us up. They'd say, "Hey, hey, hey! You just went through the uh, trauma of of giving birth. Now let us take your baby and take care of it. You can have it at night, but we'll take care of it during the day so that you can at least, you know." Uh, catch up on your sleep that you missed from from that difficult time of of, of raising your baby overnight because you lost sleep. That's well, a, that's important. When um, when there's people that, that both partners have uh, successful careers or there is a single parent family and a baby is born, the expectation is that the mom takes um, three months off. Three months. For <laughs> you don't uh, say. <laughs> 12, 12 weeks is is more than acceptable. And with our first child, I was working, and I did have a maternity leave package, uh, but it was actually called a short-term disability claim that I had to make because I was disabled from my pregnancy, apparently. And I talked to a case manager for my claim um, when I was about three weeks postpartum, and he was going to approve the amount of time that he believed I needed to be paid to stay home with my kid. And the maximum was 12 weeks. But he informed me that if I had a normal birth uh, without a cesarean, that I only needed uh, eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't have any fight in me. <laughs> and I, I almost didn't feel like I was even entitled to that money to, to be staying home and getting paid. It was a strange thing for me. But uh, I got paid for eight weeks because I didn't have, I didn't complain enough about how bad it was. Yeah, all you had to do was complain more. I mean, yeah, you were, it wasn't a cesarean, but I uh, mean, you should have seen the stitches. That's what I should have <laughs> told the guy. You can't expect <laughs> me to get back work, eh? <laughs> but uh, the the idea was when when we did decide uh, for me to go back to work, and we put our 
our first son into a preschool daycare type setting when he was three, uh, three and a half. Um, we thought long and hard and we found the best place in town. And so by finding the best place in town, it was expensive. But we thought, you know, that was worth it. And it just put us in a weird demographic because all the people that, all the parents that we met there and the kids that were going to the school were doctors and dentists and lawyers and not our team. No. <laughs> not at all. But there were women there dropping, you know, in shiny pearl Lexus SUVs dropping their infants off you know, uh, with their maternity pants still on so that they could go to their office job. And I could not imagine that, you know, having that first three years home with our son was like so important to me and to us. Mm -hmm. But like we weren't making a ton of money, but it was enough because we made it enough. Yeah. Uh, We lived within our means and we, we kind of hunkered down and it was like a wonderful, beautiful time. There were so many moments when he was a baby and I was in that 1970s double wide trailer trying to learn how to ferment carrots or like bake something. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, I'm going to look back at this and I'm going to remember this is the best time of my life. Yeah. And like, it's hard and I'm tired and I'm dirty and I don't look my best and the baby's crying again or whatever. But it's like, I was so aware that that was like when we're old people, We'll look back and think that's the most imp- so that's like the most important thing I've ever done, and to have that time, and then go so long without having another child, and then now having another child, like uh, we so like know what we want. We know that he's not going to go to daycare when he's three, so that I can go back to work. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure out how to do what we need to do without going there, and um, that's not that's not normal anymore. Um, I think people with that are low income come like we were, would have been taking advantage of that. We could have qualified to send our son to running, not running start. It's the one, um, running starts to go to college early. There's something else. Head start. Head start is a government funded daycare program for low income people in our state. And I don't know if that's nationwide. Um, but I know that that's here. And, you can qualify for that and you can just let your kid, I mean, a lot of people just take their kids there and they don't have a job. You know, you don't have to go to work from there. Um, and, uh, when I was little, I knew people who, who had done that. It was like, Oh, they were lucky cause they, you know, got into a preschool type setting early mm-hmm. and it's paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, um, programs out there and ways to help you. It's, they will take your kid and teach them everything that they need to know. And that's scary. Because if you think about this nuclear family and us being split up by our ages and removed from the home, it's kind of like, what are we doing when we're not there together? What, what would we have been doing a long, long time ago, if you think about what we would be doing, Little House on the Prairie times or whatever, we're building our home. Homesteading is homemaking, is making a home, right? That just means that your number one priority is making the space that you sleep and eat 
and have sex and cry and take care of your kids and birth your baby and and have funerals for your family. That home is sacred. All of your spiritual moments. Everything is there. Your is is there and taken care of. You have family over, big meals, Christmas dinner. You know, tragedies are are mourned over and successes are celebrated. It's like that place that you cook every meal, the place where you grow food and preserve it. Um, you have animals and you slaughter them in your backyard. I mean, like that is this living thing, this, this space with this energy that you create and, and yes. store there and you perpetuate. So when we, when we have a house and it looks nice and our lawn is mowed and we leave so we can go to the office and our kid can go to school and our elderly family members can go to a home and our teenagers you know, our kids can go off to college at 18 right away. Then we lose this learning that we all would have from one another at each age. Like the kids go to school and they're separated by the year they're born, like really close. Mm -hmm. You know, you're with someone that's within a year's age range of you and uh, separated from other kids besides recess. And even then I think like the younger half of the school goes to recess at one time and the older half goes recess after same with elderly people you're 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 stuffed in there but think about the more homeschool type settings when their kids are in a group and it's not um separated by age or gender then the babies are looking up to the big kids and the big kids are learning how to take care of the babies and you know the the teenagers are keeping an eye on all of it and giving them a hard time you know they they figure out this dynamic of how to to take care of each other and there's an aspect at that point like um if you have nine kids if you've had nine kids mm-hmm. and say they're they're spread out by you know, a, a good year in between each one or so. Um, then at a certain point, the, it starts becoming, it's, they start raising themselves. I used to call it with my coworker that had 10 kids. I said, oh, you just, your family's just self-sustaining at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's exactly because what I'm thinking th- of. Think about a child who's nine years old that has had a new baby in the house every year since yeah. they were born. They know how to take care of a baby by and, nine. And when someone was potty training this year and they finally got it down where they're, where they're, they're crapping in the toilet, wiping themselves and washing their hands or, or whatever, whatever the routine is. Um, if they finish that this year and someone else is starting that this, this year, like they finished less than a year ago and someone else is starting now. Well, they are so much more connected to the act of learning how to poop in a toilet than, and they're excited than any grown-up grown ever could be. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and they're proud that they can poop in a toilet, and they want to show that they can poop in a toilet. And if you're raising your kids right, they're happy to help each other, and they're excited for each other's successes, and, yeah, and it just perpetuates itself, all that good stuff. So, okay, we, we were talking about traditional family. Yeah. What, what does that look like? Um, I, to share, to share of my own childhood, I think I got something closer to this than a lot of people from my generation did. And, um, 
I, I don't think it's true across the board. You know, I was just talking to someone from Appalachia and, you know, he was pointing out that there's, there's a lot more of, of what I'm calling traditional family going on there, even though they have their own problems in their own ways. But I grew up, um, I grew up right here, um, where we're at now. Uh, I didn't live in this house. My grandparents lived in this house. Uh, my grandpa's brother lived my grandpa had the 40 acres that this is part of now. We don't have the full 40 acres, but the, the, this was on 40 acres. And his brother had the 40 acres that was next door. My grandpa, my grandpa's father bought this 40 acres originally. He raised two boys here. As they got older, one went and started, started working uh, off the farm. And he accumulated enough money to be able to buy the next door 40 acres. So it was this mirrored property. And my, while my grandpa didn't go off the, off the, well, he did odd jobs here and there, but he didn't, um, he didn't go make money elsewhere. He worked with his father all the way through until eventually he had kids, um, as did his brother on the next door, you know, he built a, a fine house and a barn and had a, had a much smaller, but, um, but, a, a farm next door, which he, when I say smaller, I mean, he had less operation going on there because he worked away from the home. Uh, but and so his farming was to feed his family, not to sell. Well, and, and my grandpa and my great grandpa farmed his land. They, they, they cleared all those trees and they had they doubled their field space, so now they had twice as much hay. When they needed to, they could graze cattle on on the next door neighbors, which was which was family. You know, I mean, it just it was all it was all one piece of property. Even though there was a clearly defined fence, there there were and deeds. Two, and two deeds, right? Yeah, there were two deeds. I mean, it was it was it was separate homes. But then, as as time progressed, uh, you know. My grandpa had kids. His brother had kids. They started raising these kids, and um, then, and you know, my dad was one of them, and all of his cousins and his sister, and they all got a bit older, and then uh, several of them bought property on this same road right before I was born in the seventies. Um, so then, at that point, we have my grandpa's property his brother's property, my uncle's property, my aunt's property. And then there was also, and when I say aunt and uncle, they were actually cousins. Second cousins. Second cousins. Your dad's cousins. But we, we, you know, we just, well, I called them aunt and uncle because they were. They were older and were, that's out of respect. Yeah. Yep. The cousins were my cousins and the, and uh, their parents were the aunts and uncles. It was just, just the way we did things, the way, way we called it. Um, and then there were a few other homes on this property or not property on this road, but between all of it, we, we owned this place, <laughs> you know, yeah. as a family and the people who weren't part of our family were part of our family. Like we had community meals all the time. Like we, like there was no such thing as, um, as a property line when it came to where you could and couldn't go. So all of us kids had free reign of this 
entire road of this entire it's a little dead end road and um you know the the one exception was there's a quarry that's on the road as well and we weren't really allowed down there although believe you me we spent a lot of time down in that <laughs> quarry um but but we weren't we weren't for the most part we weren't allowed down there um and then beyond that it's like we would we would wander from one property to the other without even knowing that we had well we know because there's fence lines and we all knew whose was what but um if someone like, like even if i was playing by myself and i would be out in someone else's woods that person or that family would be aware that someone's out in their woods and they would know that it was family they wouldn't even necessarily know it was me but if i got hurt i could scream help and someone who cared about me would be there not not necessarily immediately but it, you know i mean it would i mean in it, i was never far from someone who loved me and and, and love you know true love family love and, he, and that even includes the neighbors who were not family we all loved each other and this is a beautiful thing that i think i'm extremely lucky to have experienced because most most people our age and i think just about anyone younger than us has never experienced that um a vast area full of people who all care about them and love them as much as i got and that's what i'm talking about when it comes to traditional family i don't even necessarily mean bloodline family um, and I think to take it a step further, I mean, you did go to public school. You weren't mm -hmm. homeschooled. So we were, all did. No one and, was homeschooled. And your dad was not a farmer, and he left the house to work. You, you did have grandpa next door. Like, you had aunts and uncles. You had people on the road still. But both your parents worked, or your mom did at least part of the time, and you guys went to school. So while it was never, it wasn't like what we're talking about, uh, where it's to everyone's totally separated, it was somewhat. And it's like, I think the 80s to 90s is when this shift started to happen. Because if you fast forward to today, there's just this section that's still uh, here. There's no more cousins on the road. No. There's not even, even the, the longtime neighbors, one has passed away this last year and one sold the house and moved after her husband passed away. Mm -hmm. So those, the family that wasn't family is gone now too. Um, it's, uh, the eighties and nineties really sealed the deal on the, the nuclear family and then moved that past to whatever I, I do. I want to, I know, I know that the media is probably driving into, to us something new, some new type of family. And I don't know what it's called because I remember in the nineties or the zero early zeros, it was the blended family. Everyone was talking about because people would get divorced and then get married and you're bringing your kids together. So, um, is that step step is when it's like that. Yeah. Step yeah. family or whatever. Um, but moving beyond that, what, what are they calling it today? They're, I know they're promoting single family households mm -hmm. and they're telling you you're a strong woman. If you, if you do that and you don't need a man and that kind of stuff they're, I know they're promoting same gender households, which is fine. If you're going to raise a, a family together. Great. You know, honestly, I didn't, I don't think that matters. Like I, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's sort of irrelevant to me in the same way the bloodline aspect is irre irrelevant to me. It's a matter of love. 
It's a matter of care. And the moral code. And everybody having a moral code that they all, to whatever degree, agree upon. Whatever degree they they, they agree upon it that, that, you know, uh, stealing is wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you know, don't uh, hurt people and don't take their stuff. Yeah, just just really, really basic like that, and um, um, it's 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 super important that uh, that the love be there. It doesn't like I think because when we talk about this, like it's really easy to feel like I'm being really Id- idealistic that this is an unaccomplishable thing that I'm talking about because hey, er- the, everybody's already been split up. We're, uh, you know, what, 60, 70 years into the nuclear family experiment. And now that's breaking up as well. Like, and, and I'm telling people that they should be living on the same property as their great and great, great grandparents. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, dude. Like, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's why we need to break the mold of what we're even calling a family. See, again, I'm starting to use language that I feel like a liberal would use, but I'm not. I am not, do not confuse this for the shit that liberals are talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to break the mold of what we think a family is, though, and have it be people that we love. Have it be you, you we right now, let's, let's pretend we didn't have my background on the property that we're on. It, whoever's listening, where you're at, you take your home especially if you're someone who's who's starting a homestead. I know we have a lot of people listening who are starting or aspire to start a homestead. When you start there, the idea behind creating the traditional family would be that you are making a home for yourself that you're never going to move away from. That you're not you're not going to get put into a nursing home. You're going to raise children, hopefully homeschool children who are going to continue to live there. You're going to, you know, again, it starts feeling idealistic because part of the American dream is to get the fuck out of your small town. Yes. What, what I've got really is that it doesn't have to be that you stay there forever because there's tr- circumstances where you would have to move. Right? Sure. Sure. But it's that you put the energy you put into the home as is, as if you were going to be there forever, that it's not like, well, I'm not going to paint cause you know, we might not be here that long or I'm not going to plant that garden because I don't know if we're going to move. It's just put, putting all of it into it, you know, all the time sure. and putting that full energy into making your home. So now if you do that, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're, if you do that and you also have, um, Let's let's go minimal here and say one other family in your neighborhood, not even necessarily the same road, but in the same general vicinity as you. And they do not have to be blood relatives. They are just people that you care about. Think freedom cells here, people. Think about, you know, you, your family and you have another family and you all share a similar moral code and you all care about each other. If that continues, then ideally you don't move. Ideally you don't. Circumstances make you move, but I, 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 I'm, I'm just talking idealistically here. You don't move. You raise children who are going to eventually be taking care of you while they're also grandchil- their grandchildren will be on the same property as you. And maybe if things go well, you'll, circumstances will uh, allow if you have multiple kids, them to purchase property nearby you. 
And if you have another family that's nearby as well, and they can, and they are doing the same thing, suddenly you go from two parts, two parcels of property to four, and that you all care about each other. And eventually you can have like these takeovers, you know, like it starts feeling like the free state project idea or something, but I'm talking on a micro micro scale. Um, you, you will build your own village that will be capable of raising your kids. Not this fucking, again, uh, I'm, I'm using liberal language and those liberals are not talking about this. They are talking about having a state institution, raise your children as the village. Um, I'm talking about creating a real village, a real tribe, a small deal thing. So let's think about this from the point of view that what what people might think is idealistic is the fact that it's really hard to afford a house right now. Absolutely. It's hard to have property. If you're not getting it, um, an inheritance, if you're not getting something left to you, it's really challenging for people. So uh, let us let me kind of share a little bit about my mom's history. She was yeah. from New Jersey, Jersey City, New Jersey. And her parents were from Italy and they immigrated. Well, my grandma came when she was a little girl and got citizenship. And then she went to Italy when she was a young woman and married a man that then she brought here. They, then they had their kids here and raised a family. So my mom and her sister. So they lived in an apartment building. And unfortunately, my mom's father passed away when she was two. So my, my grandma was found to be a, a single lady with a two and a four year old and she had to go back to work, but they, she lived in an apartment complex where at, like her sister lived, her parents lived and her aunts and uncles lived all in different apartment built, um, apartments inside the same building in the same building. though. And then the, their my mom's grandpa, so my, my grandma's dad, had a store in, in the bottom floor of this said building. So this is the same situation as we were talking about, but the city version of it. Now, could this exist today with the way things are? I don't know. But it's the same idea. They shared the rooftop garden. They grew basil in their windowsills to make pesto. They had the, the, the store at the bottom. So if... My mom said when she would be doing something she wasn't and, you know, smoking on the corner or whatever, mm-hmm. that you would hear, hey, out of the window and someone screaming at you, no, get back inside and quit screwing around. Yeah. You know, you had your neighbors knew you. They knew the family and they didn't have nobody had a ton of kids. You know, there was a two two kid family household and then a four kid family household. So there were six cousins and then the grandparents and uh, uh, my grandma's sister and her husband and then my grandma. Mm-hmm. So that that that's the same thing. That's this traditional family. That's this support network. And what that cultivated, even when things got split up and my grandma moved to the West Coast when she remarried a a guy that was in the Navy and they relocated here when my mom was 12 or so. That core of family values was still in everyone, even though it wasn't the same as it was before, you know? Yeah. And it felt like there was always this yearning for that kind of community that was no longer. And, um, while, while, while we got together on weekends and, and holidays, uh, nobody was living in the same building and nobody was living on the same street as each other anymore. And, uh, it, 
it's uh, it's harder to get space like that. And if you're talking about these buildings now being smart cities, I mean, I don't know what that takes, and and I don't know how rare that is any anymore. Um, but if you think of okay, so when we lived in our mobile home before we got to move into here, which wasn't that long ago, two and a half years or so, right? Um, oh, that we moved here. Yes, yeah. Yes. So two and a half years when we lived in our last house, we, we lived there for a couple years, three, three years or so. And I knew we didn't, weren't going to live there forever. I knew like literally the house would not allow us to live there forever. At least we were going to be building a yurt or something because this, this cardboard um, thing was not going to be standing for much longer. But I tried my best to always look at it like I'm still building. This is a home we live in now and I'm still yeah. putting that energy into it and I'm still building that and learning the skills that come with practicing. So we had a, uh, you helped me build a four by four, four foot by four foot plot in, uh, on the side of the house that got the most sun out of cinder blocks so that we could I could start a garden because I'd never done that before you you had but I hadn't and uh, I grew basil in the window and I learned to ferment stuff mm-hmm. I learned basic cooking skills and and baking and I taught myself this stuff you know just reading books and looking stuff up online and practicing trial and error and I, all of those skills, I taught myself to crochet at that time, um, basic hand sewing, um, and all the baby stuff, baby raising stuff that you would need to know. And we just worked on those things together and made lots of sausage in our kitchen and all the things that we would want to do to make a home. Um, and that energy that we created together as a family we moved that into this house as part of everything else we oh, moved absolutely. in. And so I, I don't know. I just don't want people to be discouraged if they don't have that perfect place, that perfect house, that perfect piece of property, because yeah. that oh. starts bef- before that, that starts now. It starts before that. And I want to point out that during that time that was starting before that point, uh, I was also working 12 hour days. Yep. I was working 11 hour days with an hour lunch break. So I was, it was, 12, 12 hours a day I was out of the house. I would, I would referred to for, for years. It was like, Oh, it's that time of year where it's going to be six months where I don't see the outside of my home except on weekends. Yeah. Because, because it's I, dark I, when you leave and it's dark when you come home. Yep. And, um, that is difficult. You know, um, we had, we, we had other undertakings there that were, they were just too much. Um, it was it was difficult i you know i hurt my back during that time because i was working all the time and we were you know what what the heck we were trying to raise hogs you know and uh and stuff like that and it was just like it was like no you know like that that constant working was not conducive to that and then we doubled down on that when our son was three and we put him into to um daycare and I went back part-time which quickly became full-time yeah and it was like it was it was just we didn't spend any time in that home practically but yet we did we did do a lot of things while we were there um it wasn't until I started realizing as it was coming up on time for our son to go to school that I was I was like I can't do this like I, I I knew it was wrong all the way through I knew it 
somewhere in the back of my head, but I just, you know, s- life is crazy, and sometimes things are so busy you don't realize how big of mistakes you're making. And with that, our son was spending eight hours a day with strangers in a daycare, and he, I, I did, and and we didn't take vacations. Five days a week. Five days a week. Uh, no half days, no spring break, no summer vacation, all that kind of crap. He was only in there for two years total. And it was, as, as I was reading more and listening to more and more podcasts that were about homeschooling and things like that, um, I just got out a calculator and I started calculating. How many hours has he been, has he spent away from our family? And I, I, I can't tell you what that number is off the top of my head. It was over 2,000 hours a year. Yeah. Um, and I then I was like, huh, let me do some math for my school, my public schooling. Let's see. I started when I was uh, five years old, and I did kindergarten, which was uh, like three days a week. I think it was it altered between um, two and three days a week, uh, every other week. And that was for six hours a day. And then I had, you know, here we got this number. And then let's add, then for the next uh, uh, first, second, third, I think it was fourth grade that I got to with, with doing uh, six hours a day and then figuring out, you know, like take, take a week off for um, springtime, a week off for wintertime, uh, you know, holidays and all that and I I kept I kept adding up the years year after year and it took until fourth or fifth grade no no maybe it was even all the way to middle school that's what it was it went all the way to when I was in like seventh grade I had spent that number of hours that he had spent in daycare I had he had already done as many hours as I practically did in my entire school career because I only made it, I barely started my ninth grade year um, and before I dropped out, ran away from home and became a total degenerate, but um, which was largely because school drove me crazy. And then we had a son who had already spent that number of hours. And guess what? He was having disciplinary problems, according to the teachers, you know. Yeah, not at first, but towards... Towards the, the end. end. Well, because it's transferred from being this kind of a fun daycare and preschool to his last year there was called pre-K, pre-kindergarten. And pre-K is just supposed to get the kids ready to go to kindergarten at a public elementary school, which means that the main focus is to get them to sit still, stand in a line, put their coat on when they're told to, and uh, sit at a desk, hold a pen, write certain things. And he was like a normal boy of that age where he was very busy and very active and didn't want to sit and didn't want to stand in line, didn't, didn't want to stand in line facing forward without talking in this very specific way. And then you're, you're asking, you know, kids that are in, in college for high school or for, for early uh, childhood education careers to understand how to take care of kids that age when they're just being taught it in a classroom with no actually, you know, until being there, no actual experience with children. Like you can't just force them to do stuff. They're, they're free. There's free spirits until you break them. They, they, they want 
they expect that they have freedom. So it's, it's broken to do that. And it's really sad to think that he spent as much time as he did there. And the majority of it was good. It wasn't really until the end of it. You know, I, I just want to share something with the, with the, with towards the end there. Um, and when he was getting in trouble a lot, a lot of the time it was for him playing guns as they would call it. He was playing guns today. Uh, he, he needs to learn that you can't pick up a stick and pretend that it's a gun. So, so we like kind of worked with him on that. We said, Hey, 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 you know, these are, if these are the rules for while you're there, you're not allowed to, to do that. So then, then it was right after this, the stick thing that, uh, that I went to pick him up. And of course he was in the corner as he often was by this time. And the teacher took me, she was like, I need to talk to you over here. Like the kids can't hear what we're about to say. She said, he and one other boy were going around and she held her fingers like a gun, you know, the, the L shape that, you know, pew, pew. But she said he and his friend were going around and they said they were blowing people's heads off. And she said, I don't know what kind of video games or movies you're, you're watching or playing with your, with your son, but this isn't okay. And I said, okay, well, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, I, I don't play video games, at least not like that. Uh, Anything he was playing with was kid game, like Mario or Tetris or something. He wasn't playing gun games. So, so I took him, so I took him, I took the, the advisement or whatever she said, which, you know, she was telling me I was in trouble to some degree. And we got in the car and we started driving and I said, hey, I heard you were, uh, you figured out a way to do gun game with just your fingers today. And he was like, yeah, yeah, me and whatever the other kid's name was. We had air guns that were blowing air out of our fingertips, and we were blowing everyone over. We were blowing people's heads off. He was basically playing air compressor. Yeah, he was not blowing people's heads off. Like, I think that term, like, just fucking made them freak out. Yeah, but the kids, like, they're so innocent, they didn't even know that that was a term to mean violence. So we got them cool on no more finger guns or any, you know, we just got to... While you're there, you just got to not do that. So then, I don't know if it was the next day, but it was might as well have been the next day I went to pick him up, and there he was, sitting in the corner. And the teacher says, you know what he's doing now? He's pretending he has a bow and arrow. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. What, what, was he shooting kids? No. He was trying, he was doing target practice, I think is what she said. And it's like, okay. So what, what am I missing something here? And she's, she's like, that is a weapon. It is the same as a gun. And then it went to swords. He wasn't allowed to pretend to have a sword. He wasn't allowed, you know, it was all even, these even things. Even if he wasn't doing something violent with it. Yeah, he got the picture. He knew he wasn't allowed to pretend to blow anyone's head off. <laughs> he knew that he wasn't allowed to pretend to slay anyone. And then there's this nitpicking and this paranoia because of, oh, violence in schools. And why do you think that's happening? It's because of this constant tightening down and them telling them, you know, you're, you can't do this. You're going to do this. You're going to be violent. They would do like nature walks and field trips there on, 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 on a regular basis. You know, like Monday was a nature walk and, you know, uh, Fridays were, were, uh, field trips where they'd go to just a, a park down the street or something like that. Um, and he missed almost all of those for his final months there. He, there was one more really big field trip that was to some park that everyone was really excited to go to. And he wasn't allowed to go to that one either. But I, I, I talked to him and I, and they said, okay, he can go, but he can't be a part of the class. You need to come with him. 
He can't, like, we're not in charge of him. You need to be entirely liable for him because we can't be liable for your child anymore. And it was like, fuck, this is over pretend guns. And he's like a really, really good kid. He really he's is. He's just really, at that time, super normal for his age. And it was interesting because he was only one of two boys left at that time. And when when that year had started, there was almost half boys and half girls. But sl- slowly over that time, each boy got pulled out. And it's because they were getting those parents were getting talked to at those times Mm -hmm. and they removed their kid from the school. And it's because boys play differently than little girls do. Not all, you know, I was a tomboy and I liked to play with the boys and I was really rough. Yeah. But I, most of the girls that I knew were not like that. They wanted to play house or dolls or, you know, they're something different. And with, and, uh, the boys were, were just rough and they wanted to wrestle and that's what they did. And slowly all of the friends, that our son had left and he was the one him and one other kid who was very different and played with the girls and was really calm. And so he was just like trying to wrestle people who were not consenting by that point. It was, it was a debacle by that point. Let me just say to, to end that uh, thread of this conversation that the, my last day at the auto body shop and picking him up for that last time from there was like the best day ever not picking him up. That wasn't the best moment. You know, it was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. We're gone. And we, and we like drove away and the two of us were celebrating on the way home. You know, it was like, this is amazing. He was so happy to know that he didn't have to go there again. Now, granted there was a follow up to that, Two weeks later, he started being very sad. He was very sentimental about missing friends and the routine that he had there. So, yeah, it's it was uh, and it wasn't just a Stockholm syndrome thing. It was really like he he enjoyed parts of that. And that place wasn't bad. It wasn't like he was chained to, uh, to a table. They weren't abusive. No. It was just really restrictive. And I mean, it was just a tiny, tiny grain of what we were going to end up seeing at public school. He would have been in special classes because he had a big mouth on him. And that's what happened to me. And and you were different than I was, but same thing. Bad experience in school, really hard time. They basically told me I was retarded. And then you quit and you start working and you realize, no, you're actually really smart and you're functional. And like that, that was the same. Both of us dropped out of school. And I, I didn't want that. I didn't want to send my boy to a prison for children for you know, six to nine hours a day, five days a week for the most of the year. I just didn't want to. And really, you know, John Taylor Gatto and some other people that we were reading and listening to at that time were telling me that. And there was a point where I said, we either need to stop listening to this stuff or we need to take the kid out of, out of the school before he goes to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And we, we both knew what we needed to do. But it was going to be hard. We were losing one income. And we were making a big change. And it was, it was really difficult. And I think that's what's hard for people to understand. Well, I couldn't do that. Other people can do that. But I can't do that. We couldn't afford that. Mm-hmm. Well, the answer to that is, is that you afford that because you... That's my priority. Right? Once upon a time, our priority was getting to work mm-hmm. and putting our kid in 
daycare and we we paid for that. Yes. And then we changed our priorities. So you're no longer paying for daycare, which is a huge sum of money. Uh-huh. And then, so it actually didn't feel like that much losing one income because most of that income went to that, that school. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't need that anymore, then, then you just, you don't have to like then take them to the bookstore to buy stuff every day. We had the library and the parks and like a ton of stuff to do that was free around town and on our property. Well, you know, it's like, um, like if we did like, uh, ridiculously simple math so that my, my feeble brain can wrap around it and said, uh, say it costs $10 a day for daycare. Okay. And, uh, the man makes $10 a day. Yep. Then they, then it will come to be, okay, well, if we're going to spend 10 bucks a day, uh, and well, actually we should say that he makes just a little bit more than that. Like say 12, 12 bucks a day. So he's making 12 and we decide, okay, mom should go back to work so that we can have more money. But that's going to mean that we're going to have to spend 10 bucks a day of that 12 that we're already making. And then because, uh, women make 70 cents on the dollar, um, We'll say that mom brings home uh, seven, seven bucks a day, <laughs> and then all of a sudden we get to having a dollar less than we would have if I was making that ten bucks a day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, um, and it's um, it's that like where are our priorities at that point? Our priorities at that point are looking busy. Our priorities at that point are not being at home. You know, there was another. Uh, aspect to this is this pressure for people to they say you oh you got to socialize your kids you got to socialize your kids they're not socialized if they're homeschooled they're not around other people enough yeah so well you know this, what that argument went out the door the second they said that we were locked down and kids couldn't go to school anymore sure did didn't it <laughs> but what really at that time it was this idea of like yeah i need to get them in and around other kids you know we're not very good at socializing with other people we don't have any friends yeah, that there, have children like, a little bit of that so it was like yeah let's let's find a way to get him playing with other kids and that really was the best part of going there like if we could have just taken him for recess every day, yeah. you know, that would have been great. But there was a whole bunch of it that wasn't great. Well, I'd almost argue that six hours of recess with a bunch of kids every day would be school. That that is what home, <laughs> that's what unschooling is, and that's absolutely what people should be doing with their kids those, at those least kids, until at least until they're like ten or twelve. Especially if they're not overly monitored, you know, like. They will learn so much playing with each other for six hours a day. They'll figure out, you know, they'll figure out all these different social dynamics. They'll figure out how to take care of each other. They'll figure out, they would figure out so much, but that's, that's, that's stifled and stopped. And there had to be, there's so many staffs and they're, they're just watching them like a hawk. It's that's that's far daycare and public school is far from what I think of the traditional when we talk about this idealistic traditional family. It would be an absolute crucial point to the whole traditional family idealistic. Like, I don't care if what I'm saying is unachievable or not. Amazingly important part of that is homeschool and even more specifically unschool. Yes. Yeah. Unschooling at least a kid is ten, until ten or twelve, unless they if they start to show interest on, on book learning in a different way, then then you approach that. Absolutely, if they want that, if they, 
you know, my, my dad is a guy who, if he was raised in that type of situation, he would have wanted that. Yeah, and the kids will tell you. And, and you and it, unschooling is continuing to provide them with tons of opportunities to do and learn certain things. You find what catches their eye, and then you make sure that there's a lot of opportunities to do said thing. And then that thing that they're doing that they become passionate about has every lesson that you need to learn. It has reading, it has writing, it has math, it has science, it has everything history there's everything you need to it can be whatever subject they want it teaches them all of those different things yes and that can be a video game or a computer game that could be uh, a sport that could be a, a go-kart it could be any anything you can think of yeah and whatever strikes your specific kiddos fancy is at that time and you just let them go with it. I, th I think I think a real key to it too is, uh, again, I'm talking idealistic um, uh, traditional family here. Uh, that if the parents aren't working uh, off the property, so there's always chores going on. We'll call we'll call work chores when they're not um, when they're not for the man. Um, so if mom and dad are always choring, and the kids are if there's any structure to this concept for the for the schooling part it's that they need to spend time with mom and dad every day while they're doing chores oh yeah so that they will learn if nothing else the patience of waiting while chores are happening but even more even better is uh hey i need to switch tools can you hold this tool for a moment because i'm going to need it again in a minute i'm going to need that shovel again in a minute but i got to use this pick for a second you know and eventually that I think without, I mean, some kids, like you said, they're going to want to go to school. They're going to want to go inside and read a book, but other kids we're going to find, they like getting dirty. They like digging holes. They like, um, getting on their hands and knees and sticking their hands in the dirt and, uh, essentially weeding, you know, even um, when you think they're not paying attention and they're, they're learning, they're, they're learning from just being around it. And if nothing else at that point, like while they're while they're learning the patience of uh, uh, of watching you do a chore, they're gonna say, "What's this bug?" And you know we've been down this before on here. You know, like talking about ants and stuff. You mm -hmm. know, it's like they're gonna ask questions about the world around them. And um, you know, in my case, I almost never actually know the answer. I always want to give an answer right away, and then I realize, oh wait, you know, I don't actually know that. Uh, so I give my my theory and then I say, let's hold on to that and we're going to look into it. And it usually involves um, a little bit of Internet reading on my part and maybe uh, maybe watching a couple videos, you know, maybe pulling out a book and looking at pictures. And, stuff it, and like it that. starts with that, you know, encouraging them to observe things. And my favorite favorite one is is when they ask me what something is. Whoa, I'm not sure. What do you think that is? What do you think it is? Mm -hmm. And then you get to hear their imagination and their wealth of knowledge that they have about other things that they can compare this to. And it lets them stretch things. You know, it, it lets them stretch their way of learning because if you experience something and talk through it, you, you learn it better than if you just are told something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they're going to, I don't know, they're going to learn constantly well and they're lear they learn they learn that time is they they're, they're learning how to learn in school you they you go to learn specific things they and teach you what to know and they teach you how to act and how to comply 
and they teach you what you need to know and you memorize those things. Yes. And that's by their standards what you need to know. And there's nothing about learning how to learn. And when you're given a f- freedom, you learn how to learn. You learn, when you're given freedom, you begin to have, as our last episode talked about, that curiosity. You become curious as to how these things work. Um, you don't just learn. You know, you can uh, uh, you can tell a kid, grab this fork and go through this, this ring that we have here. And I want you to take each scoop and I want you to flip it over. And I want you to just do that again and again and again until you've done it to the whole thing. And, and if they... And if they just do that, then, okay, cool. You had them do a chore. Or, (laughs) more likely, they're going to be like, what? Why would I do that? Why would I dig without digging a hole? Oh, well, this is our compost pile. And it needs to be able to be flipped. If it it stays in one spot, it becomes um, stagnant. And um, what's the word I'm looking for? not aromatic. Um, you need to aerate it. I don't know. Uh, uh, anaerobic. Anaerobic. It'll become anaerobic, and it's and it stops being good. You know, they and they do that. Maybe they'll even do it once or twice without asking. But eventually, they start wondering, like, why are we doing this? You know, and they're gonna they're gonna have that curiosity. In school, you're not allowed to have that curiosity. Basically, no. You are in trouble if you ask the hows and whys. Right. And I think it's just inevitable that that curiosity over the intellect will will blossom and become very, very real if you're unschooling, if you're not lazy, if you're spending time really thinking about things and spending real time with your children who you love. And that's the real basis of what all of this traditional family is. I think that if we, if a lot of people, if if everyone, ideally everyone, adopted these kinds of ideas and started raising their children that way, we would all be in traditional families in 20 years from now. Right. And so what can we do as individuals and what I see as the solution and how do, how do we live the most like what our you know, idea is of what is right is that we keep our kids home with us and we take care of our parents as they get older. Absolutely. No matter how hard that is, because some of them may beg to be in homes and we might have to make that decision because that's what they want. But we, we, we're with them and we walk through that transition and we deal with the hard stuff and we face that and we let our kids see us do that. And mm-hmm. we talk to our kids about that as that's happening. Yeah. And we are with them as they make their decisions and as they transition into adulthood. And we never stop working on our home. Right. Absolutely. And that's uh, like, like within that, they're going to learn problem solving. Uh, when I very, very, very first started the homeschool aspect and when I did not know what I was, what, what I was going to be doing with that at all. I said, come on, son, we got stuff to do. And he'd say, what do we got to do? And I'd say, I'm not sure yet, you know, Come with me. And then we'd look at stuff. You know, this place was all overgrown. And I'd say, we need to get this barn uncovered. It's it's covered in, in weeds. And he'd be like, how are we going to do that? And I'd say, well, if we had these tools, that's what we would use, which mean, meant nothing to him. But we don't have those things. What we got are clippers and leather gloves. So let's just start doing this. And he would watch me 
try to figure out how to do something that was not impossible by any means, but just not, um, the, the path wasn't clear to me. The path has rarely been clear to me as, as we've been doing this. And I have him with me all the time to have him. He, I have him with me because I love him. And while he's with me, he watches me problem solve in ways that I think will be more beneficial to him than anything he could ever get from reading a book. Um, it, and, and not that I'm discouraging reading books. It's just that, uh, what he's going to learn from, from watching me is I say, I got to move something and it's too heavy. I don't have the strength. The, the five-year-old next to me doesn't have enough strength to add to that. What am I going to do? Okay. Okay. Scratching my head. Let's, I got a couple of little jack stands. Like let's, Let's try and get one corner of this up and onto a jack stand. And six hours later, we've got it up onto a trailer, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was with me just not knowing how to do what I was trying to do and him just being with me the whole time. And then if he continues to be with you, he watches how you do that better the next time you have to do it. Absolutely. And, you know, then, then, you know, transfer that, that knowledge into like watch him, watching him play a video game. Um, which is, which is, you know, just a, a, a surrogate activity with no meaning to it. But at the same time, he's, he's going, huh, you know, I want to do this in my game, but I can't. Is it possible? I just got to try it from every angle until I figure out whether or not I can do that. And um, I think a lot of other kids are going, uh, oh, I got my new video game. I better get on YouTube and see how to play it, you know? Right. Um, and, and I think that all these things, you know, compound into being, uh, hopefully a foundation for great boys that we're raising. Right. Me too. Yeah. And so I think, um, trying to be in your home and build that energy and put that effort in there and learn to do things that you need done for yourself, like cooking food, growing food. Mm-hmm. Where does your water come from? Yeah. How do you, where do your clothes come from? Everything that you use and consume, like where does it come from? Just start there. And what can I do? How can I take some steps away from other people and bring them back to my home? Yeah. And so whether that means uh, you make mayonnaise for the first time instead of buying the craft food stuff or that's a great step, whatever you might sound goofy, but that's a great step. Uh, you know, uh, anything that you can do yourself, and especially if you've got kids, do it with them. And they might not be in a mindset or a physical ability to, uh, say, help you with that, but talk it out while you're doing it. And the, and the way I know that we're doing okay is because sometimes I'll be discouraged because my eight-year-old has never liked spending too much time in the kitchen with me, and that's something that I really like to do. It comes and goes, and he'll he'll... he'll participate for a minute but never really see something through completely but then there'll be times when we're at an event and he's talking to another adult and he is explaining to them the entire process of sourdough and wild yeast and (laughs) our fermenting kvass and how the yeast from the air is in the kvass and it's it's the natural bacteria on the the food that you're using to preserve itself and then i realize like okay He's there with me. Yeah. He's just a kid. We can overlook that sometimes. And it's, it's, it's something that I, I work on all the time. Uh, there, there are times where I'll be thinking, what a lazy son of a so-and-so, 
you know. Yeah. And I'll, 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 like, literally be thinking that because he's doing something. And then I, like you, like you, the example you just gave, then I'm in an, I'm at an event and I listen to him talking to someone and it's like, he's telling them about what the best way to get a tractor unstuck is when you get a tractor stuck. And, and the adults there with their mouth like open, and staring going, at this kid like, "How old are you? you How 30? old are you?" And I've never driven a tractor, yeah. you know, like. But you're talking like you have. Oh yeah, well you know my dad will let me do it. You know, oh did I tell you about the time that he got the the truck stuck and he had to pull it out with a tractor and I got to drive the truck, <laughs> you did. know. Um, and and it's like, oh yeah, he's not. I mean, it's just moments. I mean, everyone has moments. I have moments. I have times where I get home from my day job. And um, I just need a minute. I just need everyone to just leave me alone. That's usually when the dog and the cat and the baby and the boy and mom all sit on top of me. I don't um, usually <laughs> join the club, but everybody else is sitting on top of you for sure. But if I were to look at that through the wrong lens, I'm not real hard on myself, but I know some people are really hard on themselves. Um, I could be like, what am I doing? I don't have time to lay down for a minute when I get home from work. Mm-hmm. I get home from work so that I can get to my real job of being at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, but no, sometimes the world gets to me, whether it be just my job gets to me or, um, uh, you know, sometimes the news exhausts me because, you know, I don't listen to the news. news. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we, sorry, we had a little bit of technical difficulty there. I was uh, right on the, the a roll with something, but... It's okay. I think we've said everything that we need to say at this time about traditional family and and all of this. So let's go ahead and wrap it up, Lanny. Yeah, that sounds good. This has been a fun episode. It's something that is on our mind a lot and we like to talk about. And this is what we want to be talking about with other people and hearing other opinions and different circumstances. And uh, we have some appearances on other podcasts coming up that we'll be excited to share with you at that time. Um, if you have anything to add to this conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at the world as it is today at protonmail.com. Yeah, for real. If, if anybody's listening to this and they really want to be jumping in on this conversation, uh, write to us. Uh, there's a good chance we'd, we'd like to talk. If, if you're feeling passionate about what we're saying, we want to talk to you. If you have kids or a marriage or you're thinking about those things in the future and you want to talk with someone or, on or that. Or you're just highly opinionated. <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk. We'd love to. You can follow us on Instagram uh, at the world as it is today. You can follow me on Instagram at greener postures. And you can find my YouTube channel um, at preserving today on YouTube. And, uh, and we also got t-shirts for sale because oh, we, yeah. as a, as a podcast in this, in this, uh, uh, sphere of podcasts that we're joining, of course we have a t-shirt, uh, uh, store, but this isn't just t-shirts that say the world as it is today. Although I do have one of those, this is conspiracy t-shirts. So come check out my line of, um, the so they say conspiracy t-shirts space travel dinosaurs so they say yeah or my personal favorite is one that simply says this statement is false right because that is a beautiful logic track that i think is is, represents everything we're dealing with with fake news the the statement this statement is false in order for that to be true it must be false and if it is false then it is true. So if it's true, 
then it must be false. You see where it's going. Yeah, anyway. we could do a whole nother hour just on that. I, I would not I'm going to stop you there. <laughs> I'm going to stop you there. All right, thanks for listening. This was The World As It Is Today.